Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. At Theranos, whenever the board would come in, Elizabeth would tell us all to look busy, but the whole thing was theater. Welcome to episode 30 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I'm your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at the blood testing company, Theranos. It was October 18th, 2015, when Elizabeth Holmes, president of Theranos, and Ramesh Sunny Balwani, chief operating officer, held an emergency meeting with their staff at the company's headquarters in Palo Alto, California. Two days earlier, French-American journalist John Carreru published an explosive investigation in the Wall Street Journal about Theranos' groundbreaking proprietary technology, which promised to revolutionize healthcare with just a drop of blood from the finger prick. In the expose, Carreru raised questions about the precision of Theranos' core product, the Edison, and inaccuracies of its test results, which the company covered up through a number of unscrupulous practices, most notably by using commercially available machines to generate test results and then pass it off as their own. As Carreru laid out, this elaborate scam endangered the lives of patients who relied on the device, sometimes generating test results that could not be reasonably possible. No way. This article unraveled the foundation of Theranos, the revelations threatening the $9 billion organization and its over 700 employees. At this meeting, Holmes, accompanied by Balwani, spoke in her famously distinctive deep voice and graceful eloquence to reaffirm in her fantastical metaphor that she had time and time again said. They were on the path to changing the world and the response from the Wall Street Journal was what happens when people on the outside fear change. After all, the journal had gotten it all wrong. She denounced the article, questioned Karu's integrity, and voraciously denied the claims. It was then, after her speech, somewhere in the packed room, a faint singular voice emerged with a slight uneasiness but somewhat unfaltering conviction. The voice said, F you, Kararu. 
It wasn't long before others joined in. F you, Kararu, until the entire room erupted in unison. Employees, one by one, joining in, the words melodically flowing like a war song. F you, Kararu. F you, Kararu. Welcome to the story of Theranos. Birth in the lab in Silicon Valley in 2003, blood drained and flatlined by 2018. For those of you familiar with Theranos, you're well aware of the magnificence of the story, the level of deception and the grandiosity of this once promising diagnostic blood testing company that was set to change the world, to democratize healthcare and empower individuals. Spoiler alert, it did not. Almost three years after the company imploded, it continues to receive tons of coverage, articles, books, podcasts, documentaries, and movies because the public's tenacious obsession with Theranos' failure is just as alive now as when we were enraptured by the young founder's promise to revolutionize the health sector. At the center of it all was its pioneer, the charismatic Elizabeth Holmes, who was a 19-year-old Stanford dropout when she started the company back in 2003. Holmes and her power of persuasion promised to disrupt a system of traditional pathology that she deemed archaic, unsophisticated, and even inhumane. What she came up with was an instrument that would allow people to take a single, simple blood test and see immediate results, a proposition that would make her the youngest ever self-made billionaire. Now, what I found so fascinating about Theranos was that in interviews with former employees, they all talked about the corporate culture within the company, which was based on secrecy, paranoia, and intimidation, all perpetuated by Holmes at the helm. My name is Justin Maxwell, and my position at Theranos was the needlessly lofty head of user-centered design and development, which translated to designer. Justin was one of these employees, and in this episode, he'll explain why this corporate culture turned out to be the precise type of environment that allowed for a company like Theranos to thrive, to cover up its intricate labyrinth of lies, and for more than a decade, fool powerful investors, leaders in innovation, and the entire world as we waited eagerly for Holmes' vision to become a reality. The Theranos story is a masterclass in toxic corporate culture. Anyone who's been in a noxious work ecosystem will recognize moves from the Theranos playbook. To understand how Theranos cultivated its culture, let's go back to the beginning. When Elizabeth Holmes dropped out of Stanford University in 2003, she already had a plan. She had conceptualized a state-of-the-art blood testing diagnostic device that would enable people to inexpensively analyze their blood with a single needle prick. The sample could test in for around 200 conditions within minutes. And by fusing the words therapy and diagnosis, Holmes formed the word Theranos, 
the company that would raise over $900 million over the next decade and become a darling in the tech community. By 2013, Theranos introduced itself to the world and was met with bold headlines celebrating the promise of its invention. They inked a deal with Walgreens, the second largest pharmacy chain in the United States, to install Theranos blood testing booths in 40 of its retail chains. They also signed on Capital Blue Cross, Cleveland Clinic to offer the testing kits. They also formed a partnership with Safeway, worth $350 million. At the height in 2014, Theranos was valued close to $10 billion with Holmes having more than 50% ownership. The young CEO became an overnight sensation, rubbing shoulders with high-profiled movers and shakers, Rupert Murdoch, the Oracle founder, Larry Ellison. She even made friends with Bill Clinton. The media also went wild for her, with features in The New Yorker, Forbes, TechCrunch, The New York Times Style Magazine, amongst many others. For a while, they loved Holmes, her quirkiness and intensity. The press embraced her uncharacteristically peculiar ways, comparing her to the next Steve Jobs as she traversed Silicon Valley in her version of the iconic black turtleneck. Those who came in contact with Holmes talked about her like she was this ethereal being. It attracted talent from the biggest companies like Apple and people that wanted to be a part of this movement. Well, what attracted me about the position was the hype that had been built up around it. So I had been told about the opportunity while I was still at Apple, and it was presented to me as as a special squad opportunity where some of us would be taken over from Apple to this biotech company with a Steve Jobs-like figure that was going to change the world. And the fact that this person was a woman meant even more. After all of the Silicon Valley breakout stars, Mark Zuckerberg, Sergey Brin, Steve Jobs, here was this young, attractive, (laughs) brilliant, and charming woman who commanded the respect and even admiration of the oldest men on her board. The media was ready for someone like Holmes, and many were happy to place her on a pedestal. That is, until the Wall Street Journal article that shattered the illusion. On October 15th, the Wall Street Journal began publishing an in-depth expose on the company. Journalist John Carreau had received a tip that led him to the ex-employees who claimed that not only did the technology never work, but the company heavily orchestrated methods to deceive the public. The scandal astounded and paralyzed the entire VC and medical world. Theranos, the company, had seized attention with the ultimate promise of how technology could make a great leap forward and change our world for the better, was quickly revealed as a sham. Ex-employees described what a shit show it really was behind the scenes. And that was that the prototype blood testing machine, the Edison, actually didn't work. Like, for instance, what was occurring at Walgreens beneath its sophisticated blood testing unit was actually lots of broken parts, exploding centrifuges, and machinery coated with sticky blood. 
Although Edison was claimed to be capable of testing 200 diseases, the reality was it was more like 20 diseases. Former employees admitted that the testing was so off that if 100 people had syphilis and they were tested, only 60 would return with positive test results. The Wall Street Journal article snowballed. Two weeks after the article came out, the FDA released a statement that it was performing an investigation of Theranos' equipment. And the next month, the $350 million deal with Safeway fell apart. Theranos unleashed its team of attorneys, and there were many of them, all against the media. But that didn't deter the Wall Street Journal. In fact, that December, another article alleged rigged test results from Theranos. This time, Walgreens announced it was suspending all of the testing at the Theranos Wellness Center until all matters got resolved. Except it never did. By 2018, things were becoming crystal clear. Theranos was charged with massive fraud by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, holding Holmes and Balwani, who were actually found to be lovers, but hid that from their investors also. But for them to be liable for criminal charges in the elaborate scheme that raised more than $700 million and for making false statements about their business and technology to its investors and partners. How in the world did so many people get duped for so long? And how did Holmes manage to mastermind such an outrageous lie within her organization as well as the outside world? Before we get into that, here's a quick word from our sponsors. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by the big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless service starting at 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after speaking with them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. And by cutting out the retail stores, there's no crazy overhead cost that gets passed down to you in the form of mystery fees. Instead, Mint just passes on the sweet savings direct to you. Mint Mobile also has high quality wireless service. I've used them personally. I don't get drop calls or spotty service. And in comparison to the almost $200 a month I was paying with my old provider, this was an absolute steal. For people looking for extra savings, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talks and texts, high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get that shipped to your door free, go to mintmobile.com slash greatfail. That's mintmobile.com slash greatfail. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash greatfail. Are you missing calls from new clients and losing leads that visit your website? Clients demand an instant response, but business owners and their sales teams are already spread so thin. So what do you do when you're juggling too much, but you want to add more clients? 
Here's where Smith AI comes in. They deliver best-in-class receptionists by phone, chat, and text to unlock new business growth and improve client service. Smith AI is not your average receptionist service. Their friendly professional agents do much more than answer calls. They screen leads using your custom criteria, schedule appointments on your calendar, and call back leads who complete your web forms. And they do all of this by phone and through your website on a 24-7 live chat service. They log new contacts and conversations in your business software and on your calendar so everything is in sync. Smith AI helps thousands of businesses and they're ready to help you too. Finally, you can work uninterrupted, run your business under less stress, and get more leads from your marketing efforts. Plans start at $210 a month and podcast listeners get a $100 discount with promo code TGF100. That's TGF100. Sign up and learn more at www.smith.ai. Trust me when I say, don't let another day go by. Try Smith AI. So how did Holmes manage to mastermind such an outrageous lie within her organization and to the outside world? For one, within her organization, Holmes established a team that instilled intimidation tactics from the onset. And for Justin, it started even before he got the job. Going into the company from day one, even the interview phase, something was fishy, where when I went in for my interview, I interviewed with Elizabeth over coffee and dinner. And then when I went in for the formal interview, it was, I've never experienced anything like that, where I sat down at a table with, I think, 11 other people who just asked me questions, which is pretty atypical. You know, usually it's an interview gauntlet where you go through different folks and, and they're talking to you about their specialties. But this was just more, you know, 11 people or so in there, I'd say six of whom just sat there in silence. And then two of them were just kind of antagonistic and doubting my abilities as a designer and asking me questions that were far outside my scope of knowledge. And I came out of that thinking that I must be the one that was wrong. And I just had a lot to learn in this situation rather than thinking, wow, these people are really weird. I shouldn't work here. Second, Holmes created a culture of secrecy at Theranos. It was widely known that Holmes had an obsession with secrecy, and she created such a culture around that at Theranos. The company had unbelievably high security measures. Everyone had a piece of the puzzle small enough that no one was able to piece together the greater picture, keeping everyone in the dark on what the company was actually accomplishing. The moment that I got into Theranos, the first thing that I encountered was something I'd never experienced in my entire career, which was a managed device. So they handed me an Apple laptop where I couldn't do anything. So I wasn't allowed to install software. I couldn't put my own accounts on it. Everything was like this level of manage where I had to ask permission to do almost anything other than like launch Photoshop. So the ports on it were closed. I couldn't access instant messenger. I couldn't send emails, all this crazy stuff. So I'd never experienced anything like that. The, the first wave of what privacy was or security was at Theranos. And then we'd start experiencing the admins would just come and check on us and ask how things were going or like, who are you meeting with this week? Like, who have you talked to? And we start to realize like there's, it's not a culture of secrecy. It's culture of like paranoia and reconnaissance. Other than that, the level of secrecy, the culture was the hype around Holmes. It made questioning her and doubting her seem almost outrageous. 
I was very young and impressionable, and I think that a lot of people were. So it was almost a perfect storm of cognitive bias, right? So I'm already primed going into this conversation with her that she's some sort of tech royalty, the next Mark Zuckerberg, the next Steve Jobs, whatever it is, right? So there's something like everyone has said she's already really special. So who am I to doubt that? I don't know any better. I'm already going in there thinking that I'm supposed to be picking up on these cues that she's brilliant and not to be cynical of her or skeptical of her intelligence. If anything, I'm supposed to impress her because I want this job. And she hired truly brilliant people who were attached to the company. So it seemed like it was a no-brainer that this was ultimately going to be very successful. One of the benefits or the problems of Silicon Valley is that people tend to hire from the same sources. And so you see someone around from Apple to Uber to Airbnb and then to some startup and then back to Google. And like you see them going through the same companies and they move the same processes around. At Theranos, even though the hype was Silicon Valley, most of those people came from outside tech. And I think that that worked very well for deceiving the investors as well. And so what I ended up seeing was a split. She had kind of an old guard of people that she might have known from school, and they were being phased out of the company. But then there were very, very senior, highly respected scientists. And so Agant played to my naivete there, where I thought like, holy shit, I'm around these people with multiple PhDs and world-respected individuals in their fields. Obviously, if they're working at this company, it's going to be successful. Holmes was masterful at creating a mystique around her dramatic expressiveness, this fluency, without really saying anything at all. It was said that Holmes had the power of persuasion and did things like send the FDA tons of information, overloading them with data in order to stall their investigation and research. But other than that, she presented a persona that others didn't question. She had a very odd stage presence. She would stare at you, you know, she would stare at you and talk in this bizarrely monotone voice and talk about changing the world. And so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought like, wow, this is what brilliant people must be like, you know? So I'm going into this and it's just reinforcing every possible wrong way I could be thinking about the situation. So I thought everything she's telling me had to be true, that this is what CEO looks like. This is what visionaries of the future look like. And I certainly want to attach myself to this rocket ship and this amazing person and help them enable what they into change in the world. Because it's so important to take into account. We can all look back at the big scam that Theranos was, but when someone tells you that they are building a Star Trek tricorder to scan for human disease and illness and prevent cancers from getting worse and detect early diabetes, and these are just you know potentially devices that we could attach to our phones. That's incredible. Like we would love that in the world now. And we still, you know, the, the best we can do are c- continuous glucose monitors and things like that right now. So the idea that I could have been part of some sort of world changing technology like that was really coloring how I thought about this. And therefore her personality, I thought like, well, this is what it takes. It requires these kind of quirky individuals to be leading efforts like this. Another fact was that she orchestrated everything from the flow of internal communications between the office to how it flowed outside of the organization, fragmenting pieces of information, never allowing scientists to be at the meeting and prohibiting employees from speaking to one another. Quiet. 
to your bigger question about like how did they maintain this, there was some sort of deliberate information control with you think of like the little finger from Game of Thrones going and checking on people to find out what they're up to and how to manipulate them going on with the admins and Elizabeth's henchmen or hench people in the office. So she said like, don't go talk to this person. He's not really a team player, right? And she'd start telling us to not talk to folks, which of course is a really dumb thing to tell an intelligent person because now I want to talk to those people. So we'd start to get bits and pieces, but you could tell, I think, WandaVision, <laughs> where you know, like everyone's kind of playing a part under the control of Wanda in the series. And everyone was kind of playing Elizabeth Theater at that point. And it wasn't until these later conversations with certain people in secrecy where they say, like, actually, the thing isn't working or, you know, actually, Elizabeth isn't quite telling the truth. And to your question about how did she pull this off, she wouldn't invite those people to the demonstrations and she wouldn't invite them to the clinical trials. You know, so the scientists were not the stars of the show. So when they would go and do offsites or they'd go to different clinics, she would just kind of bring the necessary people to make sure that those things worked. And it was actually, they were the ones that unraveled this entire thing because she wouldn't bring the senior bioscientists with her because she wanted to be the star of the show and she wanted everything to go smoothly and for no one to really understand the science. But there was actually the engineers that were there to make sure that the Edison's functioned or that they could actually do the pipetting and they would see it breaking and they'd see like all the glass flying everywhere and they'd come back and tell us privately about it. And I think that that's how we started to see that things weren't working as she would describe. Because then she'd come back and say, oh, I'm always afraid of like whether or not I can say things. But I think as far as I know, she can't sue anybody now. You know, she'd come back and say like, well, you know, Tennessee Oncology was a huge success. And then you'd get that Jim from the office look from one of your coworkers and he'd just be staring at you like, no, it didn't work at all. But, you know, we'll talk about this later. And that's when the wheels started to fall off the bus, when people began to realize internally what was actually going on. And there were other red flags. I'd had startup experience in the early 2000s, but it was different. You know, I was the first wave of dot-coms was a, a much less serious thing at that time for me. So I didn't really know what boards were or board of directors were. But at Theranos, whenever the board would come in, Elizabeth would tell us all to look busy and to keep our eyes down on our desks and to clean up our desks and to not make eye contact. And then she'd bring them into the boardroom and they would kind of like all be paraded in at the same time, welcomed up from the lobby, and she would shut the shades in the boardroom. Now, of course, they're like, there's nothing fishy about shutting the shades in the boardroom, but the whole thing was theater. And so for many of that was just very odd that we had to present ourselves differently for the board and like not make eye contact with people, which is super weird. So I think that was the first signal of, of stuff being odd. The other was that uh, related to that was that she had us pack one part of this gigantic soccer field size office so intensely close together, even though the rest of it was all empty to where we were playing soccer and riding our bikes around on the other side of it, just so that when people came up through that side of the building, it looked like we were a very dense, really highly populated workforce. This board of directors, that was yet another big warning sign. You see, one of the greatest selling points of Theranos was its ironclad board, which to the outside looking in, legitimized them, made them bulletproof. Theranos recruited on its board Henry Kissinger, 
who's like the Henry Kissinger, Secretary of State for President Nixon and President Ford. And then the Secretary of Defense, John Mattis, and Dick Kovacevic, former CEO of Wells Fargo. Holmes seemed to have chosen all white men. Almost none of them had any background related to healthcare, but they helped boost Holmes' reputation and credibility. It was this make-believe board without any real checks and balances and no oversight as to what was actually occurring beneath the hood. This was one of the most epic failures in tech, in venture capitalism, in health innovation, and corporate governance. What was a high-profile health technology company heralded as a Silicon Valley unicorn is now known as one of the biggest scandals in history. By 2017, Theranos had burned through nearly a billion dollars, mostly on lawyers, to settle lawsuits and refunds to those who had taken its blood test. In June of 2018, Holmes and Balwani were indicted on 11 counts of fraud and conspiracy, and Holmes banned from owning or running a medical lab for two years. The court said that the couple had engaged in a multi-million dollar scheme to defraud investors and a separate scheme to defraud doctors and patients. If convicted, Holmes would face up to 20 years in prison. The judge set a trial date for August 2020, but due to the pandemic, it was pushed to March of 2021. As of this recording, it was revealed that during the lockdown and stalling of her trial, Holmes managed to marry California hotel heir Billy Evans and is expecting a child. And because of the pregnancy, Holmes has been granted what is now the fourth delay of her trial. For the high-profiled investors who were defrauded out of hundreds of millions of dollars, for the doctors and patients who relied on Theranos' faulty test results to make medical decisions, well, they'll just have to wait until she gives birth to find out when this saga might finally be over. In the end, it was befitting that Theranos was in the blood business. After years of sucking her investors dry, Holmes certainly seemed to be more of a vampire than a visionary. Special thanks to Justin Maxwell for his contributions to this episode and sharing his experience and insights from working at Theranos. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail. Please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind the scene audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. The research on each episode is extensive but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Great Fail Pod. And please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And remember, folks, with great failure comes great liability. I must confess. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.